Well, here you are again, dear listeners. You find yourself tuned in to it. Yes, the greatest podcast in the known universe. And coming to the microphone, the greatest podcaster in the known universe. The wonderful, the effervescent, the always a pleasure to be with them. Barack Lurie, everyone. Insert (laughs) loud cheers here. Yes, yes. Uh, You know, I think that this this is actually insulting. Under the the male code, I think you, you... you only really appreciate and respect each other if you're actually ribbing each other all the time, right? You know, I don't know. If you want to listen to this Breck Lurie, fine. Yeah, go ahead. That means that you think well of me. But the fact that you say the great Breck Lurie and all those nice appellations, uh, uh, it just means that I, I've got a lot of work to do. The arsenic <laughs> is in the tea you just said. Yes. Then I will be taking over. Yeah. I, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. He's a revolting human being. No one can stand him. Yeah. See, the good news is that this is recorded, and now I've got him. (laughs) After the show, I'm going straight to the DA. All right. Uh, Look, we had some terrible, terrible news uh, last Sunday, and that was the Orlando shooting. And uh, we're not going to specifically talk about the Orlando shooting other than to talk about it as a backdrop. Uh, But... Basically, uh, this is, as I understand it, the worst uh, mass shooting in American history, correct? Uh, other than, uh, I guess, well, 9-11, I guess. But that wasn't a shooting. That was a box cutter and uh, airline use. Yeah, but from, a, from a, a standpoint of the victims, I don't think they, they care about that, right? right. They, they care about the fact that uh, they're dead, and the families care about the fact that they're dead. Uh, so 50, that certainly is a lot, or approximately 50, and then a lot of wounded people as well. It's, it's really horrific what happened. And uh, it was uh, one man, apparently with a major assault rifle, and he went ahead and, and killed that many people and wounded that many others. And he did it in the name of uh, his support for ISIS. And so here we are again. Okay, now, the reason why I don't talk about it, I want to talk about this, is not so much about how horrible this is, because of course it is horrible. It goes without saying it's horrible. You know, dear listener, that Ari and I both believe that this is emblematic of of the the crisis that this administration is causing, which is an ignorance of the evil that surrounds us. I'm I'm much more concerned, and I want to talk much more about the, the classic response of what happens when such a thing occurs, right? And, and here it is. They first of all say, this has nothing to do with Islam, right? That's it's number one on the script. You know, and, and I think they actually, they must literally have it. When the White House, you know, learns about a particular thing, they say, okay, if X happens and it's clearly a Muslim-inspired uh, attack, well, then this is what you say. So here it is. It has nothing to do with Islam. Um, let's make sure that uh, we don't uh, attack uh, Muslims and, and protect them, and, and our, despite our urges to express our frustration, that we need to protect the Muslim community, right? And then, um, finally, of course, the, the call for gun control. Okay, these, those three things, and maybe you can think of a couple more, but clearly those three things are always said during these uh, Islam-inspired attacks, always. Now, that's from the left, of course. From the right, we see it correctly, which is, oh, my God, this is a terrible, terrible thing. And you know what? We need to fight the enemy. Well, can I just add a couple more details? Of course. Oh, my God, it happened again. (laughs) They were investigating the guy, had him in custody, let him go. Okay? Yeah, that's part of the script. The victims were in a gun-free zone or in a state or city where concealed carry and defending themselves was made either totally unworkable or impossible. Yes, this did have to do with Islam directly because the killer declared his allegiance to Islam. No, no, you're disproving it. I'm simply saying this is what they say all the time. Right, but I'm just saying giving our side, which is yeah, a little different, side, the reality. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, then, right. and then, of course, of course, this not only does this not have anything to do with gun control, and gun control is not only not the solution, greater access to guns by the victims would have made a difference and would have saved people's lives. Well, of course. Uh, we, 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 we totally agree on that. It's, uh, the, the, the added dimension here was that it was a gay club, a nightclub. And so 
so a lot on the far left say, oh, this is a hate crime because, you know, it's, it's a man who despises gay people, okay? Forget about his Islam. It's his uh, Islamic uh, background. It's because he hates gays, you see, and we must fight anti-homophobia. Or, or, sorry, we must fight homophobia, right? And, and that's, that's the new thing you should take out of this. No, <laughs> this is a subset. Homophobia is a subset of radical Islam. No surprise there, right? This is what a world with Sharia law looks like. This is what you can expect all the time in a world with Sharia law. Okay, now, uh, what, what to do about that? You know, the, and the president, of course, goes on and, uh, on the speech, and he says exactly these things that I just mentioned. Okay, now is the time for gun control. This has nothing to do with Islam. And let's not attack our Muslim neighbors. We all love you. And in fact, there was a there was a, a couple of rallies throughout the nation. One that I saw in Denver, I believe, where there was a few uh, a gay uh, folks that they were holding up signs saying, "We love our gay Muslim friends." Uh, okay, uh, you know, I, I don't know what you want from me there. It, okay, I I love your gay Muslim friends too. I love you, all your human friends who are moderate and who do not want to blow people. I am I, I hate all those people who do want to blow us up. That's the question. Okay, that how do we do this? The number one thing, of course, is that we deal with actually recognizing the evil in front of us. Recognize that, and you might get somewhere. Uh, I listened to. Um, I believe it was, it was Fox News with Brett, Brett Hume, and he made a very astute point. He has these editorials in the, in the beginning of the show, and he's a bright guy. And, and there was one thing that he said that really stuck with me. He said, ask the question whether or not the administration's failure to meaningfully fight ISIS has emboldened men like this, this monster, Mateen, I think it was his name, to engage in this sort of horrific activity. Right? He, he feels that, and, and I think it's a great point, he feels that ISIS is so strong, it's winning city after town, town after city, and such like this, and we still can't nip them in the bud, and they're, they're the winning team, and he wants to be with them. If he saw them as the losers that they should be, he wouldn't be proclaiming his, his love for, for Islam and for ISIS. I mean, it's a little bit like saying, uh, you know, I, I hereby support the Branch Davidians, Okay, they don't exist anymore because they they've been trounced at the end of the day. Remember the Branch Davidians from I don't know in the 90s, and I, but but instead we give life to ISIS. We by not fighting them, letting them grow. It's it's a bizarre kind of dance that we're playing with ISIS. Why we're even bothering with the fight uh, in Fallujah or Mosul? Why why that should be news is is kind of bizarre to me. Why are we having that news? Shouldn't we have? taking care of all of Iraq already? Shouldn't we have pacified all of Iraq? Oh, that's right. We pulled out every single man from Iraq. I remember now, right? So, so this, this is the, the issue. How, how it can be that somebody feels so emboldened to do this kind of monstrous act? Because, frankly, there's, there are monsters on the other, end, other side of the, of the ocean who are, who are plotting him and whom he feels are backing him. If you, if you fought these monsters the way they should be fought, we wouldn't have this problem. But, of course, their answer is take away the guns, take away the guns, take away the guns. It's all about that. See, it's, it's all about what you perceive to be the problem and then what you perceive to be the solution to that problem. If you identify the problem as gun control, a gun problem, then your solution is get rid of the guns. If you identify the problem correctly, as, as I think we do, which is this, is this is a problem of culture, this is a problem of failing to recognize evil, uh, then, then your solution is a very different solution. It's not about pulling away guns from good people. It's about fighting bad guys. And the more we take that fight out to, to, you, uh, to the Middle East and get rid of the bad guys, the more we'll win here. And in fact, the very justification George W. Bush cited for the Afghan and the Iraq campaigns was, it w- and I quote, right. it will be better to fight them there than have them fight us here. Yeah. 
<laughs> what do you think? What do you think? Now, the way he articulated himself may not have had the smoothness of my high school education, of course, because you know he wasn't as good of a speaker right. as the glib President Obama. But the clarity of the point cannot be argued. And in fact, I can't tell you how many people I saw posting on social media saying the Iraq invasion created ISIS, not Obama's uh, withdrawal. Right. That's right. No, with, no invasion created an enemy in the history of warfare. Uh, I mean, look, look at Cambodia. That was created by a precipitous withdrawal from Vietnam. Right. That's true. Uh, so we're supposed to think that history acted in the exact opposite way this time? When you and I sat on this, uh, in front of this microphone doing this podcast and discussed the issue and came to that exact conclusion... Right. That the with the precipitous withdrawal of all of the U.S. forces from the Iraq theater will lead to a power vacuum that will be filled by something that we cannot imagine. Well, that and was... that thing we cannot imagine turned out al-Qaeda in Iraq basically changed its franchise name, filed a new fictitious business license, <laughs> and now yes. it's called ISIS. Yes, and they should have right. hired Barack Lurie to file it, but they didn't. <laughs> that's right. He's a and business that, lawyer. And now and they man. have all sorts of liability and shell alter ego issues. Right. <laughs> and large real estate holdings. <laughs> Well, that's true. But we digress. We digress. <laughs> the, the point is that what we predicted was so was so easy, obvious. To, so obvious. <laughs> I, I'm almost embarrassed to say that we predicted it. It's, it's a little bit like predicting that uh, in the months of January and February, it'll be relatively colder than it is right now. Okay, <laughs> that's my great prediction. Ooh, <laughs> so, yeah, well, out on a limb, have we? <laughs> you heard it here first, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> we are on a limb. And you know what? I'm going to revisit this this very day. It's about in February or so. And we're going to look back, and I'll play it back for you, and you'll say, man, Barack, you were right. <laughs> All right. Uh, but, but, it, but it really was easy to predict, wasn't it? it it's, we, we both said, you leave this power vacuum. We said the bad guys are going to come in, and it's an opportunity for terrorists to t- try to take over the, the, the whole place. So there's no way that we can possibly win. We talked about examples of, of what happened um, after, Germany, after the World War II, uh, uh, Germany, Japan, and so on, uh, that, that it was always a disaster. We talked about Korea. It, it would have been a disaster to pull the men out. We were sensible enough back then to realize the lasting impact uh, of, of pulling out every single man. Yeah. Oh, and here's one more. When we stopped backing Chiang Kai-shek in China in the in that of course, uh, of course. civil war, of course Mao won. Right. Let's let's look about uh, talk about invasions before um, whatever you want to call it an invasion. Did did, did the did the Europeans hate the Americans because they invaded Europe for purposes of winning World War Two? Uh, did China sadly has invaded uh, um, uh, Tibet and such. And no doubt the Tibet people want to be free, but the Chinese are simply, you know, going over there and, and simply uh, usurping all the, all the power there anyway. But it's not giving the same sort of terrorist attack that you would expect. I'm not a fan of China taking over Tibet, don't get me wrong. But it's, it's, just, it, it just, it's just palpably not true. Uh, it's about the most pacifistic society on earth. Right. In fact. Uh, and us being in Iraq, when we were in Iraq, it was... Uh, it, it was the Iraqi people were thrilled to have us there. They would, they wanted us there. Uh, were there people that that thought that maybe it would be better without the Americans? No doubt that there were. But uh, those people were uh, Saddamists. They they wanted Saddam to remain in power because they they benefited from his power. But that's a different thing altogether. And the people that that despise America, well, that's because they love Islam. There's there's just don't you get this? And this is not the first time in history. But when when people look at what's going on. Presently, they, they pretend as if somehow this is the first time we've had issues with radical Islam. We've had issues with radical Islam from the very beginning of Islam. It has always been this way. And the very beginning of the American Republic. The oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to get to that. Uh, but from the, the very beginning of Islam, they, 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 they've always sought to conquer. They've always sought to destroy. Um, it's what happened with uh, the, the Crusades, like, like we talked about before, was a defensive war. It, it was because the, the Muslims had been invading into Europe. That's the reason why. Um, it, this is the failure to understand this basic historical fact. It, it has nothing to do with America. And they won't like us more. They don't think the same way. These, I'm not talking about moderate Muslims. I'm talking about radical Muslims. They don't think the same way we do. They don't desire to send their kids 
to a private school, to college, and hope that they become a dermatologist one day. They just don't think that way. What they want is they want to spread uh, their faith, their radical faith, everywhere they can, and they, want, and they would love to blow themselves up. Yes, they would, they would love the honor of blowing themselves up to kill as many infidels as possible. That's how they think, okay? The fact that you invade them for purposes of quelling it only means they respect you. If you don't invade them, that's when they attack. You want proof of that? Okay, we pulled out of Iraq, and we're getting more and more of these crazy attacks than ever before. Yeah, if, if the liberal logic that you just outlined were so true, where's the flowers and the thank you notes? Yeah. Dear America, you pulled out of Iraq. Thank you. We won't attack you anymore. Right. But instead, San Bernardino, now, now Orlando, a few months ago there was uh, Chattanooga, the naval uh, yep. yard, the beginning in Oklahoma City, uh, Fort Hood. On and on and on. Yeah. If Obama was such a, a a bringer of peace to to people with these philosophical leanings, Major Hassan would have never shot up Fort Hood. Well, not only that, but let's go. Let's turn to Europe. I mean, Europe has had major um, uh, Muslim attacks, you know, radical Muslim attacks, uh, in the past uh, a couple of years, and if not decade, and they're not invading anybody. You know, that the Germans didn't invade into Iraq. That the, uh, in fact, they they went kicking and screaming. From Iraq, and yet now horrible things are happening in Germany and France and England. Yeah, in fact, it's the opposite. They're they're bringing in these refugees as an invasion, and that's stimulating even more attacks in their territory. Again, no thank you notes. Right. The uh, and Israel also, of course, is such a uh, even the best example possible. That the notion was that if we just pull out of the West Bank, if we just pull out of Gaza. Uh, if we just pull out of South Lebanon, if we just pull out of the Sinai, well, then, by golly, wonderful things will happen. We will have greater peace. So let's see. We pulled out of the Sinai. The tensions with Egypt are just as bad as they ever were. In fact, they're probably far worse with, some, with, with a lot of Muslim Brotherhood talk as well. We pulled out of southern Lebanon, the, the notion, which was a buffer zone, it wasn't as if we wanted conquest. It was, it, it, it's not as if we had buildings or settlements in southern Lebanon. It was simply a buffer zone to prevent them from shooting rockets into Israel proper. Uh, but there was so much bugaboo about that that they decided, hey, look, let's pull out of southern Lebanon and let's, let's hope, because they used that as a pretext as to why they were shooting us in the first place. So Israel pulls all of its men out of the south Lebanon. <laughs> they just simply moved the, moved the rockets closer, right to the Israeli border. Thank you very much. That's exactly the thing that the Israelis were worried about. Then in 2005, that was, by the way, in the year 2000, I believe, uh, the southern Lebanon pullout. In 2005, the Israelis pull out of Gaza, which is, uh, is a little strip of hell. Okay, that's all it is. And it's, it's a tiny place. It's, uh, Israel's tiny enough, but imagine, and even, you know, I think Gaza is maybe one-fifteenth the size of uh, Israel proper. And, and you pull out of that, and, and what happens? We have, I think it's been three wars that have to go into to Gaza to, to root out the terrorists there and to root out the rockets that they're shooting from Gaza. And, and the claim was that somehow there'd be all sorts of wonderful peace. And a lot of Israelis deluded themselves into, into thinking exactly that as well. And, and why? Because, uh, well, they didn't want to incur the expense of defending these settlers anymore <clears throat> in Gaza, what they call settlers. It just wasn't so. It, it, you know, the reality was uh, evil, when given the opportunity, pursues evil. That's what they do. <clears throat> and to not understand this basic principle is, is a shame on us. But even worse is that we don't learn from it, that it happens over and over again, and we don't learn from it. And now the, the, call, you know, the disaster for Gaza, I, I really think Gaza was a major disaster to leave there. And I think it's, sadly it's one of Ariel Sharon's, uh, may, 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 may he rest in peace, uh, sadly it was, it was one of his biggest mistakes, and it was a big one, and it sadly was at the end of his life. Um, how, he should, how he, the great commander that he was, could have been so fooled by the, the policy wonks of the, of the time that somehow that this time uh, evil would, would respect boundaries just because you pull out. It, it, that, was, that was so naive for such a wise man. Anyway, and now they want 
then they expect uh, the Israelis to pull out of West Bank. Oh, okay, that'll work out really well. Thankfully, the Israelis have really wisened up at this point, and they say, no way, Jose. This simply cannot be done, because to do so and to give the West Bank back, and, and of course that would include East Jerusalem, uh, would just basically be the utter end of Israel. It would constantly be fighting these rocket, rocket attacks into Israel proper, and, and there would be no end. And then there would be a question of, well, let's go back to the 1948 borders. You know, forget about the 1967 borders. The 1948 borders were even more tenuous than, than what, we're, what we have now. And then what? Then what? We, we, the, the end of Israel would be imminent. So the Israelis are, are certainly no dummies, but they have to learn the listen, lesson of history over and over again. And even Israel, as brilliant as the Israelis are, even they get sucked into this nonsense. And so we pull out of Iraq, and the same thing happens that the Israelis experienced. And this is the shame, the shame of our times, that, is that we keep on doing the same thing over and over again, never learning it. And to, to not learn this... Um, that's where we really should feel true shame. Anyway, I, I see this in the Orlando shooting. Uh, we, we will have more shootings in the future. And the debate is, is a completely different conversation. It's a, the debate is about gun control and the debate is about homophobia. Like what? What? Can, can we say that the problem is that there's radical Islam is at our doorsteps, that we are inviting radical um, Islam attitudes and people? into our country. Can't we say that for a change? But to get a, a far lefty to understand that is, is like uh, expecting an elephant to turn into a giraffe. It's just it, not going to happen. And right? One of the most stunning facts and moments in all this is that I believe it was in April, the imam from the mosque that Omar Mateen belonged to preached to him and everyone in that congregation, that gays must be slaughtered. Wow. It's one of those rare ones where there's a straight line of logic uh -huh. on this. Right, right. Straight line. Yeah. And if, if Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama had that filmmaker uh, arrested for the, the Benghazi attack, right. why isn't this imam in handcuffs already? Very good point. Very good point. I heard a listener uh, talking to, um, calling into um, one of the conservative talk show hosts, and and they said, you you can't, what was it, uh, when it comes to some, when it comes to uh, an Islamic terrorist, you cannot possibly uh, brush a broad stroke w with all, regarding all Islam, and that's true, you can't, uh, but when it comes to, let's say, a Christian, well then, and he does something bad, then you can uh, of course, deem it as, as effective for everybody else. Or for that matter, um, a gun control. If somebody, if somebody uh, improperly uses a gun, right, then the whole call is to stop guns altogether, right? Yeah, they immediately blame all the people using guns right. who didn't have something to do with this. Right, exactly. But if somebody improperly uses Islam, <laughs> then it's just that guy, right? That's right. I thought it was a brilliant point. Right, you know, if you it apply is. the same logic about uh, uh, guns and banning the guns, then to to Islam, we might actually get somewhere. I'm not saying you should ban Islam altogether. In the same way, that I don't th I don't think you should ban uh, gun control altogether, of course, right? Or guns altogether. But I am saying, understand that just the same way that you say this man is not uh, responsible for all Islam, um, you cannot say that it's somebody who uses a gun is responsible for. And putting a broad stroke for all people who use guns. It's simple, very simple, and they, they just refuse to, to do this. Now, here's the question. You know, we, we say, they say to us, they say, now will you accept that we need gun control? I mean, I, I get calls from my liberal friends and Facebook postings and all the tweets that we have. Now, surely Barack Lurie must understand that there, there must be a need for gun control. When will he open up his eyes? Right? That's the question. And they, they think this way. They think that we just have to wait for a really bad enough mass shooting before we agree to that gun control uh, it needs to happen. And we need to finally say, you know what? Uh, you know, after the, the 250 people were killed in the, well, the Little Rock uh, shootings of the year 2018, uh, that's when I realized that gun control was necessary. That's what they think. 
They think it's just a question of us holding off and saying, well, 50, yeah, that's bad. I feel bad for their families and, and such like that. But you know what? It's just 50 people. It's, you know, let's, let's keep it in perspective, folks. That's what they think that we're thinking. An issue of the score not being high enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. right. If it were 2,000 people, well, then we would call, we'd be clamoring for, for gun control in front of the line, in fact, because we had been so resistant before, and now we see the light, right? That's what they think. But here's the question I have to them. When will you see the light, my dear friends? When will you see the next Islamic-inspired uh, killing, the mass shooting, when will you begin to say, maybe it's a problem of Islamic, radical Islamic ideology? When? See, that's the difference. They are the ones that are blinding themselves. Not us. They think we are, but they're blinding themselves. And if, if they understood that, instead of this Pollyannish idea that you, you pull away the guns from people, which, of course, begs the question, well, then you've got to pull away the knives. You could pull away all the matchsticks and everything else. That somehow that's, that's how you do it. No, you, 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 you root out the fundamentalists out there. That's the attack, and you don't protect them by saying that the vast majority of, of Muslims are mod moderate, a, a fact which is sadly not true. Well, I wish it were. Can, it's not true. Can I make one point to that? Because I think this even crystallizes it further. If you ask the question, well, what if we're wrong? What if our ideological opponents are wrong? Think about this. Right. If our ideological opponents are wrong and um, Islam is truly not the cause of this, or radical Islam, and we flood the zone with even more radical Islam, right. it guarantees there's going to be more slaughters. Right, of course. If we're... That's shockingly if, logical. Right. If we're wrong... And we flood the zone with more gun control and further disarm the law-abiding, the criminals will slaughter even more. Right. Wait, the, let, let, me, let me get this straight. You're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, you're saying that criminals who are already violating the law and have the intent to violate the law will not stop violating the law merely because there is a gun control? Is that what you're saying? Meaning one more law? On top yeah, of all the others yeah. that are already violating? That's exactly what I'm saying, yes. That's absurd. And I'm also... And I'm also <laughs> you making, are absurd, my friend. Right. I'm also making the point that what's the risk? If we're right and we ban radical Islam, clamping down on it with a viciousness that it warrants, deporting people like this immediately, impro imprisoning preachers for for violating the, the rules of conduct in a religious... Uh, sanctuary with the religious protections by preaching hate from the pulpit. And if we follow our ideas of arming as many good people as possible, I guarantee fewer people will die. Wait, wait. I thought hate speech that you're talking about, the, the hate from the pulpit, I thought it was uh, when Christians uh, encourage other Christians not to uh, patronize uh, gay marriages. That's well, that's hate speech, sir. Well, I posted on Twitter uh, <laughs> immediately in the wake of this. I thought one of the most brilliant points: yeah. the true threat to homosexual safety comes from Muslims with radical ideas and not bakers and florists. Yeah, that's very it's, Christian. Of course, ideas. of course, that's a, it goes without saying. It's and it's a madness that that we simply have to overcome. Look, uh, you know, I said before that the uh, I want to make a correction. It's a. a a sizable, hopefully it's a majority of Muslims who are moderate, of course, but there's too much of a minority, the plurality, if you will, that are radical, and they're radical in all so many different forms, and there's just not enough moderate Muslims. Not enough. It should be 99.99% should be the, the moderate makeup of the Islamic world. Instead, it's 60, 70%, maybe 80% if we're lucky. Maybe. But 20% hold at least very violent views, and within the 20% are, of course, the, the bastards who, who continue on with the, the violence. And, and this is what we have to face. And, and it's, it's what, what it's the expression? It's a clear and imminent danger, to use your words. And if we treat it like, like it is, the clear and imminent danger, not that guns are the clear and imminent danger, but that radical Islam is a clear and imminent threat to our way of life, then we might get somewhere. 
because if you did, I think what you said is, is a great one. If they are preaching hate from the pulpit and they're encouraging uh, the slaughter of homosexuals and the slaughter of minorities and, and the enslavement of women and so on, we want them out. We, we, we do want to prosecute them because that is, uh, th- that is actually actionable from a criminal point of view. It's, it's called uh, yeah. fighting words. And it's citing a riot, literally. That, that's called fighting yeah. words. That's what's what, it's, it's an actual technical term. Fighting words is a, uh, a legal term of art, which means exactly what you're saying. It's anytime you, you know, like um, shouting fire in a crowded theater when there's no fire, uh, it's not the freedom of expression to say that. It's, it's the fact that the consequence that results from it that's what you're being penalized for. Yeah, the stampede that causes yeah, people to break their necks. And I want to point out one more thing that crystallizes the point you just made, which is this. Do you notice how many of our homosexual brothers and mm-hmm. sisters are standing with Islam? Yeah. Right? Where are the, the plethora, the, the multitude of moderate Muslims coming out into the streets and standing with the homosexual community today? Yeah, of course. Where are they? Yeah. Yeah. Where are they? Yeah. They are nowhere to be found. It's, it's a, you know what? It's such a great point. Um, I, I don't see. Uh, I mean, look, let, let's, let's see the, the great NPR or the MSNBC videos of moderate Muslims going out in the streets and saying, you don't speak for me. You don't speak for me. Uh, you know, I, I would I expect at least one or two to, to say that, but but no well, one's saying that. we have one or two. We have Zudi Jasser and we have uh, Waleed Shabbat. So we have but you, two. But you understand. But I want more than two. Yeah, but those are those are famous personalities on the TV. I'm just talking about Muslims on the street. I'd like to see a woman, for example, you know, a notable Muslim with a um, not not even notable, some some that you is obviously a Muslim in a hijab, uh, in a hijab for example, and uh, the male equivalent. I, I don't know, but nevertheless, to be able to say this is despicable. We condemn you, Mateen. You don't know the first thing about uh, Islam if that's what you do. Uh, Islam is, is, is indeed peaceful. Uh, come break bread with us. Uh, let me show you. If you only knew the true Islam, that you would be so appreciative. Of, but instead, you, you are a disgusting man. And then I want that man to walk away angry. That, that you don't see. That's exactly what you don't see. And it's a great point. And I, uh, the, the day that they come out to support the homosexuals in the same way that the gays came out to support the Muslims, that's the day that we might actually have a chance. Yeah, and one more point. This slaughter happened late Saturday night slash Sunday morning. What happened in America on Friday? Do you remember? Uh, Muhammad Ali's funeral. Oh, yes. Where there was a wall-to-wall coverage on ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports coverage, (laughs) telling us how peaceful, tolerant, and wonderful Islam is. Where are all the voices for the Muhammad Ali funeral coming forward to support the gay community? Where are they? Yeah, yeah. Well, sadly, it it actually didn't have much to do with the gay community. It had to do... I'm sure... I'm sure Sunday's events will be like Pearl Harbor in, in the gay community, generally speaking, and rightfully so. I, I think it was a horrific crime, and they were targeted perhaps because they were homosexual. But it almost, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, because of course it does matter, but 50 lives are 50 lives. And if he didn't do it there, he would have done it uh, at a crowded stadium. They, they, that's what they did in Paris, after or all. Or Disney World, which Dis- is where he was casing. Yeah, there's another. Yeah, he was casing that too. So don't, you know, look. The fact that all of the victims had something in common, and in particular their sexual orientation. Okay, that's something. But but you want to treat it like a hate crime? Well, then then you got to go beyond uh, just this one particular person. You what are you going to do? Are you going to arrest him now? He's obviously dead, so that's, it has no issue there. You understand what the source of the problem is because. Homophobia, uh, if you like, if you want to call it that, is merely a subset of radical Islam. It's one of its many divisions. You know, you go to the, you go to their departments, and they, 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 there's a homophobia um, a department on on floor four. You have an anti-Semitic floor on floor three. You have an anti-American one on such and such. Every they, they there's a lot of hate to be shared here. They yeah. just the infidels yeah. on uh, in the yeah. penthouse over here. This is their homophobic uh, subsidiary. That's all. Okay. So it's it's horrific, but we must learn from it. And at this point, uh, we we must turn our, our attention to the true source of the problem. It's not gun control. It's not homophobia. It's about radical Islam, and the day that you recognize that is the day that we will start winning. 
Don't go away. We'll be right back. Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a client who had opened up a food operation in a shopping center, but the landlord had misrepresented the amount of foot traffic that your client would get. Yeah, Dennis, and very quickly my client felt the impact, losing a tremendous amount of money each month. He had invested $250,000 in improvements into the business. All right, how did you resolve that one? It turns out that the shopping center was about to be sold, so we waited for just the right moment before the sale because we knew the landlord would not want to have to disclose this major lawsuit. Suddenly, he's settled for a lot of money. Sometimes you have to know how to time your luck. Well, that's another real success. Folks, I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM 870, The End. All right, Brock Lurie, thanks for staying with us. All right, uh, you're Brock Lurie. <laughs> wait a minute, I thought you were Brock Lurie. All right, so one of the uh, news items, we were talking a lot about uh, what had ha- the, the terrible event in uh, Orlando. You know, people keep on calling it the tragic event, of, and it is tragic, of course. But I, I call it a, a murderous spree, uh, a horrible crime. It's, a, a tragedy is something that you, you reserve for, I don't know, a hurricane that blows, uh, blows apart your house and maybe kills one of your, you know, one of your, your people. Right, floods, fires, tornadoes. Yeah, that's a tragedy. Yeah, those earthquakes are and so on. And you know they did that with September 11th, of course. Oh yeah, of because course. Because it was the, the tragic the events first of 9/11. Thing they, right, the tragic events of 9/11. Because if it's a tragic event, it's not human evil. Right. Immediately, yeah, no. they yeah, change. Yeah, exactly it. right. That, that's that, that's the frustrating thing about. It. Now, I I love you know clarity on these issues, and it's uh, certainly you know what happened was 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 indeed a tragedy. But to, it's not the first and foremost thing. It was a murderous crime. It was a horrific crime. Put it that way. Anyway, putting that aside, uh, you know, it, it, it was uh, against a gay community. Um, virtually everyone in the club was gay and such. Uh, by the way, something that's not often spoken about, and I just thought about this morning, is imagine what it would be like that you find out that your son was killed in that bar. You didn't know your son was gay. You know, to, to know that, because you know that among the people who died, sadly, a lot of them were in the closet, right? I mean, it could be not everyone was out of the closet. So what, what happens now? You, you learn that your son is, is dead, and at the same time, you found out that he was also... Anyway... I don't even know what to say about that. I think it's just a very sad state of affairs. Yeah, but let's not jump to a conclusion because I've hung out in gay bars too because I have gay friends. So there are straight people in gay bars, but that would be an unfortunate conclusion for parents to jump to if their son isn't gay. And if he is gay, and I, I think just for the point of total clarity here, I think what you're getting at is for, for parents or relatives of someone killed in that circumstance who happens to be gay and they didn't know it, that their son had not revealed to them all there was about him, that there were right. secrets that yeah. they would have wanted to know to share with him in an intimate way by knowing him fully right. before he had passed away. Yeah, it's a, it's a, and maybe the, maybe the son, usually the son in this case, but... Uh, <clears throat> would have liked to have uh, expressed to maybe he was planning to come out to his to his parents. I, I don't know. It's a, there's there's so much sadness involved in this. These are legitimate, real human beings that uh, got caught in this horrible crime and were victims of time and circumstances. And all of a sudden, their lives are completely gone. It's it's just the the the, the horror of it. It just doesn't leave. And this was apparently the worst, worst uh, killing in American history, and other than 9/11, as we said. But, 
but what do we take from this? We, we take from it, you know, a, a, a new understanding of the gay community, I think, that, that radical Islam is their enemy. For whatever reason that they may have championed the notion of, you know, gun control and that, uh, that the enemy is not really uh, Islam and we should not be at war with Islam or whatever it might be, now they're dealing with one, a subset of radical Islam, which is homophobia, which is a hatred of homosexuals. And, and they saw it up close and personal, as it were. They were victims of radical Islam. If, if they want to say that they were victims of, of homophobia only, I guess I can't stop them. But make no mistake, my friends, you, you were victims of radical Islam. And that was just one of their departments, as we talked about yesterday. The, the homophobia department. And you should, you should hate them for it. I hate them for it. I know, Ari, you hate them for it. We, we have kept on saying that if you were to go to the Arab world, and why would you champion the Arab world vis-a-vis Israel, com- compared to Israel? You know, the Arab world, if you're gay, you're dead. They throw you off the, the, the rooftops. You can call it homophobia all you want, but it's a, it's a unique brand of homophobia. And you're dead. And I, I, never, I never understood the, their failure to go that further step and say, I hate this aspect of radical Islam. Radical Islam sucks. But they just don't go there. And we said that, and we also said it, that if you're a woman, you might as well be dead in many of the Arab cultures. If you're a minority, you'll, you'll be suffering all your lives. In fact, even if you're a, a, a different kind of Muslim, a Muslim that doesn't, depending on who, which country you're at, Shiite or, or Sunni, you might be dead also. It's just a, a horrific existence. And, and it's a, as you said so well, Ari, I think it's a, from the Hajj, it's this, the hatred that motivates them. It's my brother against me, my brother and I against the family, my, my family against the clan, the clan against the tribe, and the tribe against the, 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 the country, nation. the nation. And the nation. And the nation against, against the world. The world. Yeah. And this is kind of the, the mentality that so many, not all of them, but, but so many have in the Middle East. Not Israel, thank goodness. But it's because uh, Israel's not an Arab country. I, I just, why you, when you, when you say you hate homophobia, why don't you hate all hate? This is what it's all about. This, that what drives them is hate. And now you're seeing the consequences of their hate. Yeah, but isn't it interesting in these days of reaction to this? You can see why so many people on the left of any uh, orientation or ethnic background hold on to the uh, uh, tolerant philic ideas that are foisted upon them. Because look how the news of the event breaks and we have total clarity. Then as each subsequent day goes on, our political and moral leaders say over and over again, this isn't a time for politics. And then make a political speech. Right, of course. And then in the political speech, instead of clarifying what you just said, they obscure and they obfuscate and they change the subject away from the base issue and make it about other things that are based on their agenda items. So by a week from now, the community will be doing (laughs) – you you just predict this (laughs) – multi-faith events with leaders from CARE yeah, and Muslim right. Public Affairs Council to, to show tolerance against well, hatred already, of Muslims. It already happened. It already happened. Yeah, it already Care, happened. CARE is already linking arms with the, the LGBT community to say, isn't this, uh, you know, we're with you and this yes. has nothing to do with Islam. So it's, and, it's, let, uh, and let's all get together and unite yeah. for gun control. So, and, and the issue, as you said, is, and we talked about before, it's about gun control all of a sudden. It's about homophobia. And it, it, the last thing it's about is, is about radical Islam, which is the very thing that it's, that it's done. It's, it's like saying, I don't know, um, um, it's not about um, the guns. It's about the bullet. It's, uh, you know, no, it's about the gun and the bullet together, right? The, the, the gun is the thing that shoots the bullet, and the bullet is the thing that kills you. Right, and it's radical Islam that foments the homophobia, and the homophobia is the thing that kills you. 
right? And, and the Islam. You like that analogy? Yeah, you, and, you understand it? And the Islamist, with radical Islam in his heart and the Quran in his brain, yeah. is the one who took the gun into this place and started depressing the trigger over and over. Yeah. Uh, and and by the way, to remind everyone who, and I know your listeners get this, but. It's worth mentioning so when they go and have this conversation with their peers, they remember it. Remember what happened with September 11th? A few weeks after September 11th, every network, all together except for Fox, stopped showing the footage. And the entire narrative turned to, instead of, we must defend ourselves from this attack, we must prevent ourselves from overreacting. Yes, of course. Uh, it's always about us restraining ourselves, and I think even Madonna had that at one, in, in uh, one of her concerts. She said, uh, let's exercise restraint, is what she said, and everyone booed her, thankfully, because you know, that was worthy of a boo. But anyway, let's, let's move on. I, 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 do, I want to talk about this. I think I'm, uh, we need to move on to a different topic, but a very important cultural topic, a topic that reflects our cultural decay, and that is the first naked restaurant, and it happens to be in London, England. Now, what, what is the premise of this? This is a restaurant, uh, I forget the name of it, but it, being, it means something like fundamental in a particular language. I forget what it is. And the restaurant offers its patrons to come in, uh, and they give you a robe, and you can be in this festival where you get the robe, and then you can walk into the restaurant itself, and uh, you sit, and, and you, you can continue to wear the robe, or you can be as naked as you like. And for some reason, being naked while you're eating is, uh, is meaningful. Uh, not clear why, but, but uh, <laughs> who can argue with the, with the numbers? They now have 40,000 uh, on the wait list for this restaurant. So... Let me make some predictions about that. And it's this. called the banyati. Banyati, that's right. It means fundamental or, or basic or something like that. And, and obviously the idea to, to, to do this. How the food is, who knows, right? But, but here's, there's so many things to talk about. Okay, first of all, um, okay, there's naked and there's naked. Okay, if you've ever stumbled upon a, a nude beach, as I have in San Diego, not realizing it was naked, uh, that it was a nude beach, nevertheless, you look around and uh, you know what? Most of the times, you don't want to see the people naked. I don't, I don't care to see a, a man naked. Uh, so that's already half the population there. And in fact, usually it's more men who want to be naked than the women. So already, I, I, I'm not seeing what I want to see, if I would want to see anything. And then among the women, well, a lot of them are just not appealing in any, in any event. I mean, you, you go with this vision that you're going to see these, these luscious, beautiful babes, right? You know, that's, this is the way the mind thinks, right? But in reality, you just see ordinary people. And ordinary people, you know what? Not always, uh, you know, sexually attractive. That's just the way it is. That's the way life is. And so I don't think this, this restaurant will be any different. The fact that they go into a, a restaurant naked, it's not as if they, they, they have a bouncer there saying, let's see how pretty you are. Let's see how handsome you are. Whether you, you know, you're, 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 uh, your nudity will be enough to justify your entering into this restaurant. It's, it's not going to be like that. So I don't know how exciting that is. And after a while, I think people will get bored of, of the nudity. I mean, how, what's the point, right? Is, is the point to be able to you know, get aroused every time a new person walks in or takes off his or her clothes? Is that the point? Okay, if that's the point, then why, why even have it in a restaurant? Well, at, at, well, but, at but, Benyati, but, you don't even see other patrons. Remember, every table is its own little enclosed. You only see the people you're with. Okay, whatever. Which, so, which so even makes even, this less of a... Less know. of an appealing thing. I mean, yeah. whatever the purpose is. So, okay, so, so let's say... Then I want to go to the business side of it. Because this is interesting. This restaurant is successful by definition. If they, if they, if they truly have a 40,000-person waiting list, okay, that, that, I consider that very successful. Okay. Now, you're another restaurant. <laughs> you see this success. Okay? There's something called capitalism and competition. Then you're going to say, well, you know what? I, I can sell my uh, Thai dishes <laughs> with, a, with a nudity aspect to it, too. Why don't I? And all of a sudden, I, maybe I configured my restaurant slightly differently, but it's certainly worth the investment. And next thing you know, you have a, a nude restaurant across the street from this biryani or whatever it is. Biryani? Banyati. Banyati, whatever. 
So Stupid. As, if I care, as if I give a crap what the name is. So, I mean, really, do you care? I don't care. So, but it's a naked restaurant, and that's all the that's the whole point. Is that you can say bagnati, and but we, I hear blah blah. I, most people will hear naked restaurant, and that's the reason why they go to it. And I doubt they even know what kind of food they're selling, right? So, anyway, the, the, another nude restaurant will open up next door. And that will do reasonably well, too. And then another one and another one until it's a point that, you know, just about every restaurant will be clothing optional. And, and all the thrill and all the excitement of the first nude restaurant will mean jack. Nothing. It just, it, what's the point? Why, why nudity in a restaurant? Why? Why not? I mean, I, I understand that, you know, it's just an aspect of running a restaurant. Maybe you decide, hey, you know what? Uh, I'll have a pool table here, Right? That's, that's why a, a, a restaurant will put a pool table in some restaurants because they think people like to come in and they'll have some drinks, maybe some appetizers, and that's why you buy the, the pool table. It's, a, it's, a, it's an attractive feature of the restaurant, right? Or you might decide to put a television right, right there. That's another attractive feature. So these guys decided that nudity would be an attractive feature, to which I say, why stop there? Why not... Look, porn is very uh, appealing to a lot of people. Why not just have a bunch of uh, TV screens, those flat screens, and everywhere you look, there'll, there'll be some sort of porn activity going on, okay? Here there's group sex, here there's lesbian sex, here there's gay sex, whatever, whatever floats your boat, and uh, that will be a draw too. Why not, right? Why, why not have a, a restaurant that encourages um, you know, pot smoking? That, here you go, the first pot smoking restaurant. But what's, what's the point? You know, I, it's Why just, aren't you in the restaurant? This apparently, I, I need to be in the restaurant. You know, I, I really am. <laughs> For a guy who doesn't eat meat. That's right. I'll be right back. <laughs> you hear me running out, right. slamming the door. You go start. <laughs> you hear the car engine run. <laughs> uh, but it's not as if you can get a patent or some sort of trademark on, on any of these ideas, right? It's, you know, you'd be laughed out of the patent office or the trademark office if you came up with the idea of saying uh, the first uh, restaurant that has, I mean, that, that has a, um, a porn video screening available. Well, anyone can do that. That's not novel for, for patent purposes. So that's all it is. All you'll, you'll be seeing is a race to the bottom. That's it. And... Uh, and pardon the pun, I don't mean that way. But a race to the bottom, meaning that people will just, you know, there won't be any formality. There won't be any sense of discretion. It'll all be about do whatever you feel like. You know, that, that's it. There was a whole Simpsons episode, by the way, speaking of the Simpsons, where it was exactly that. Do what you feel like. Right? And, and, uh, and there was this, this uh, shyster who came into the Springfield town. Uh, and he was telling people exactly that, that. To open up and do what you feel like. And don't tell anyone to, to do, um, don't, tell, don't let anyone tell you what to do or how to think or how to feel. And it sounds all good and well. And, of course, this is all prompted by Bart saying, I do what I feel like, right? And the shyster says, I couldn't have said it better myself. I do what I feel like. He says this to the audience. And everyone's really excited about it. They buy all of his books. He's, he's, he's peddling easy answers. And he makes millions, of course, in the process. And then you see a week later, no one's doing anything. Everyone is just kind of not, they're not going to school. They're not teaching. They're not building. They're, it's a, a completely decaying society. And I wonder, here we are. Maybe we're in that very society right now, at least in this restaurant. Because this won't be the first nude restaurant. Someone will do it here, and then it'll proliferate, and yeah, hopefully it'll be just for adults, but nevertheless, it'll proliferate, uh, proliferate extensively. And then uh, people will say, okay, well, you know, what's the big deal? And suddenly, nudity will be a very big part of our lives. That, that's, you know, we predicted this. Um, only, I think, I think two years ago in one of our podcasts, we'll say nudity is going to be a big part of our lives. It's going to start. It's already, it's already has been starting. Um, so, so when, the, when, the, when they ask the owner about this, this idea of his, about nudity, what does he say? He says, this is about liberation. You know, people can, can finally feel liberated. And to which I say, excuse me, are you saying that my clothes have been enslaving me all this time? Really? I, you know, this whole fashion industry that women and, and some men really love so dearly and, and make their entire careers, that's a, a culture of slavery, apparently. I know he didn't mean it that way. I get that. 
But it, it was very, what's it, pecune, I think is the word I'm looking for. Uh, it, it, it's just darn right silly to say that somehow by taking off your clothes, you're liberating yourself. As if it's this offensive and, and oppressive society that's making you wear these clothes. Don't you want to wear clothes? First of all, putting aside the fact that yeah, yeah, most of the time clothes are, are actually useful from, for, from a cold point of view and from a heat point of view. It's very rare that there's that perfect day where you could walk around naked, right? And even if there was, you'll get a sunburn where you don't want to be well, sunburned. Exactly. Yeah, good point. <laughs> Uh, and, and even so, you would still want to, you know, put a visor on over your head, you know, to, to at least shade your eyes. I mean, you're wearing something in order to protect your, your body one way or the other. If not your eyes, then your skin and so on. And more importantly, let's just assume I don't want to wear clothes. I want you wearing clothes. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate it. <laughs> I have that. really good eyesight, and I want everyone else wearing clothes, yeah. except for those four out of 100 people, to only two of which are women, who I'd be okay with not. This, this notion that's liberating is just absurd. I mean, the, look, when you, as soon as a, 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 let's imagine now, if you will, a beautiful woman, okay? Just, you know, she's whatever age you like that you find to be beautiful, and she, she has a nice figure. She can be a brunette if you like. She can be a blonde if you like. It doesn't matter. Uh, no offense to the redheads out there. And, and now, you've, now she's, she's wearing beautiful clothing. It's absolutely fine. Not even yoga pants. Just Nicely dressed. Now she takes off all those clothes. Where do your eyes go to? And this is true whether you're a man or a woman, by the way. Where do your eyes go to? They, they, they no longer focus on the face of that woman, as beautiful as she may be. They focus on their whole body all of a sudden, right? They check out her butt. They check out her private parts and her boobs, right? That's what they do. This is, and if they don't do it, they want to do that, okay? They're thinking about it. But when you're clothed, even very elegantly, you know, you're, the whole point is you focus on the, the face, right? I mean, there's the old joke of, of the men who stare at a woman's boobs and the, and the, the woman kind of uh, points her fingers in such a way to, to force them to stare at her eyes instead of her boobs. And she says, I'm up here, I'm up here, right? You've seen that in many movies. And, and what do you think is going to happen when you take off... All your clothes. You think that they're going to talk to you as if without without looking at the rest of your body. Anyway, what's the what's the mission here? Well, what's the, the liberation that you're talking about? Clearly, because it's garbage. Clearly, the mission is if you're eating at Booty whatever that restaurant is. Is if I'm a guy, I'm going to do whatever I can to drop my food on the floor and have <laughs> as much time as possible to try to pick it up. Matter of oh. fact, I might just eat on the floor. What a pervert. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Provided there are no tablecloths, of course. Ah, it's a strange. It's just. It's just very strange. And you know, the, the, the pro, this they think that they're doing something novel, but but all they're doing is appealing to a prurient interest that that people had the decency not to appeal to only five years ago. It was so obvious you wouldn't do that. Now, and, and, but, but 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 look, the, the most powerful urge, uh, at least the instinct, is is sex. Right? I mean, in some cases, more than hunger. And What do you mean in some cases? <laughs> okay. In all <laughs> cases, according to Ari, uh, sometimes I get really hungry. <laughs> I'm willing to pass on sex but, uh, if I'm that hungry, right? But nevertheless, not for Ari. <laughs> he could be on a deserted island. Beautiful woman. Okay. <laughs> we'll deal with the coconuts later. <laughs> the search for coconuts. All right. Well, what do you think the woman's for? <laughs> Shot <All right>. cock? <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> It reminded me to erase this part of the podcast later. Um, that was the, that's the best moment. That's your sizzle. Yes, right that's there my sizzle. You take it yes, to yes. The the this is this would not go into the best of real. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but so so here you have it. I mean, it, it, the, the the strongest urge is there, and then all you're doing is you're appealing to that strongest urge. So what? You think you're you think you're being savvy? You know this this reminds me of all those modern modern artists who who throw a bunch of paint on a canvas. And, and use eloquent words uh, that, that are SAT words or words that you don't even understand. Forget about SAT words. And, and then you think that it must be genius because you don't understand what words they are using to, to describe this, right? Words like alienation, syncopation, whatever it is, uh, to, to describe this work of art. And, and this so-called work of art is just a piece of crap. But, 
But that's what they're doing here. They're, they're just taking off the robes. They're walking around naked, and they're expecting people to think that this is some, some sort of great a noble experiment. Not even a noble experiment. This is a noble statement of liberation, you see. Yeah, but see, and this is the best part about it. It isn't even that. Because if you read the fine print, it's all just marketing hype. Everyone sits in their own private things. So the only people you see naked is the girl you're going on a date with who's only going with you to sit naked if she knows you well enough to be around you naked. You're not going to see any of the other patrons. Bathrobes <clears throat> are provided for any trips to the, to the uh, potty. Right. Back and forth. Right, right. You're not going to see any of the other diners naked because they are. Yeah, but but you but you will see the hostess and the and the and the host. They are naked and they walk around naked. Oh, they are. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that that's the only reason to do it. You know, they will have. You know, some suit will be brought by the feminists that they were hired for their looks and that plainer, you know, looking women with weight problems are not are being excluded from hiring for this. So uh, anyway, this is know, the, this is a part of all the great relearning. Yeah, but my point about what you said about <clears throat> mm-hmm. real fast about the strongest urge for sex, the thing that is appealing to people about an experience like this is the idea that the itch that they have for that strongest urge gets scratched yeah. slightly yeah. without any thing other to, than going and having a reservation made. Right. But they're not even getting anything itched or, I or agree. scratch any I agree. itch scratched. Uh, you know, the, the the thing for me, even if they had, okay, I see what you're saying. Even if they got that itch scratched, uh, they're, I mean, putting that aside. Even, but but the point is that they're offering this for the sake for sake of nudity. That's why people are coming. The forty thousand list is not because the people feel the need to feel self liberated and they want to feel the breeze uh, of on their naked bodies. That's not it. They they have this impression, rightly or wrongly, that they're going to see other people naked. And, and that's what makes it so appealing to them. And sure enough, you know, there's going to be, there, there will be restaurants just like that, the ones that we are describing. You know, in the old days, to have a restaurant like that, you would expect that to be, if I were to describe that restaurant 10 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, where, do you, where do you think such a re- restaurant would be located, I might ask you? And you would say, oh, it's in the worst part of town. So you, you would say it's in the, in the red light district area. Okay, but, but it's not going to be that way. It's going to be in a very fancy area. So it's this legitimization of porn, this legitimization of, of tattoos, the mainstream, the mainstreaming of everything. You know, to, they're elevating it now to the point where it's actually cool. There's no shame associated with it. And, and that's, I think, is, is that's the big problem with it. That's, maybe that's where I'll have to conclude with this. And, and that is, you know, when Adam and Eve were first first discovered that they were naked, right? They had an awareness of their nudity. There was a sense for the first time that they were a little bit embarrassed or shamed, right? They, they felt the need to clothe themselves. And, and now we're trying to kind of go back to that, to that notion that, well, there is no shame with being naked. Maybe there should be. There should be a sense of, you know, just like you see in all the movies where suddenly the the clothes, uh, you know, whip the towel off of that uh, woman who's trying to dress underneath a towel, right? And all of a sudden she's naked and she's, you know, terribly embarrassed. And she's not embarrassed because she's afraid that the men are going to lust after her, right? Or a man does that. I mean, I, I wouldn't, if, if that happened to me, I wouldn't walk around proudly naked or not. I would run quickly to shelter where I could hide myself and then ask a friend, you know, can you get me some clothes, anything to cover me up, please? Not because I'm worried about being uh, held for in, you know, uh, indecent exposure or anything else like that. I'm not worried about that one bit. I have a sense that it's not right for me to walk around naked. You do it because you don't want to make other people uncomfortable. Yeah. It's, it's a social it's, contract. It's your decency. Yeah. That's what it's about. And, and, and they, want it, they, they call it liberation now. They, instead of saying... You know, well, we shouldn't feel so embarrassed about it. They say, no, no, it's a good thing. It's on the positive side of, of, the, uh, of the discussion. It's completely a different thing. And that, and that, that should not be. It, there should be an element of shame to it. You know, you don't have to be horrified about it. You don't have to mope about it for the next half year. Oh, my gosh, uh, I was once naked in, in the public street by accident. And for 30 seconds, you know, if anybody passing by, you know, could have seen me. No, I, I, don't, I don't expect that. But I don't expect you to glorify it either. That's, that's what I'm talking about. And I, we're getting to the point where we're glorifying things that, that really are, are base instincts. 
that, that are appealing uh, in a really bad way that only bring out the worst in us at the end of the day. It's only, only bringing out the prurient in us. And by prurient, I mean animalistic. It's not a good thing. It's one of the distinctions between humans and animals that we need to always maintain and remember why we are humans, why we wear clothes, why we stand up right, why we have free will, what makes us distinct. And to take away the clothes, that's, that's the beginning of the end. I'd, I'd hate to see this continue on, but I, I fear that it will. I'm Brock Lurie. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk with you next week.